Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, which is in its almost 20th year. Next year it will be. And um, wonderful to be with you and to bring you such amazing guests who inspire and enlighten you. Today my guest is Mary Ogders, and her book is Six Funerals and a Wedding. Hi, Mary. Welcome. Hi, Patricia. Thanks so oh, much. Great. Nice to so, be here. Good. So glad you can hear me. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Mary, which is such an amazing story. Mary is a writer. She's a registered nurse and a life coach. Her default view of the world is through the lens of optimism. And let's look at why. She holds a master grief coach certification and lives in California, where she works as a post-anesthesia nurse. In her new memoir, Six Funerals and a Wedding, Mary shares her story, a story of family with all its joys and bumps, proud moments and regrets. First, Mary Ogders lost her home and a lifetime of memories to a California wildfire. One year later, in a span of eight weeks, she lost her husband, her father, and her youngest son, all in tragic ways. So she will discuss grief and how to help friends who are grieving. You know, Mary, this is such a timely topic right now with COVID-19, so many people are grieving. And I think it's something that we, we often hide a little bit. You know, we, we put on that smiley face and we hide our grief, but it's so important. And I, I really can't wait for our listeners to hear your story. So give us sort of the background of your amazing story. Well, the background is we, uh, I was married to a wonderful man. He was an airline pilot. We had three sons, and, and we really did create the life we wanted on nine acres in Southern California, and we were victims of the uh, wildfires in 2007. And my husband, who was prone to depression, um, within a year, he took his life in October um, and my father, who'd been in a car accident and had become a quadriplegic, uh, quadriplegic earlier that year, died about six weeks later. And a week after that, my youngest son um, committed suicide. Hmm. And we, uh, I, I, I have two other sons, and that became my reason. Mm. For living, I, I did never feel suicidal, but um, I knew I had to get through it, and mm. it was awful and painful, but the efforts I made got me through it, and when I say got me through it, allowed me to function more normally and not be consumed by the worst sadness that grief could ever bring. And um, I felt inspired to share my journey with people simply because I'm an ordinary gal. Mm. Nothing, nothing, no, no movie star, no yeah, sports person, um, just a regular Mary, person. 
my question to you is, you know, this happened all within a short period of time. And right. the deaths were tragic. So I want you to talk a little bit about how the deaths happened because that makes it, you know, even more difficult for many of us. So, and and then I want to ask you, you know, what your first reaction was because talk about the deaths of your son and your husband and how they happened. Well, for my husband uh, started, I guess I, I should say in August, my father was in an accident. My brother was driving the car, and he was a quadriplegic, and he um, was alive in October when our house burned down. Um, and uh, my husband, just a year later, he just could not um, cope with the depression. It was almost the final straw. And he, I came home from work, and my oldest son was there, and I said, where's dad? And he said, oh, he went out to run errands. And um, I called him about 7 that night and said, I thought maybe he met a friend for a drink or something. And um, he w- didn't call me back, and uh, I talked to him later on in the evening, and he sounded very strange. And he, was, he didn't tell me, but he was in a hotel And um, I fell asleep after, you know, just pure exhaustion. And the next day, um, the police came and told me that he was gone, that he had Mm. committed suicide. Mm. And it was just frightening Mm. and just so frightening. I I felt like he had become a stranger. Mm. And um, within, you know, the boys, we, we brought my youngest son home from Indiana where he was going to college. And we grieved together and we communicated beautifully, the three of us. And they were, you know, equally as scared. And um, then my dad died of the complications from quadriplegia on December 5th. Mm. And um, when I called my youngest son, he was back at school. When I called him, he always took things really hard. Mm. And he cried and, you know, we we talked about it. And then that week, we talked many times. Um, and I, he, I could tell he was coming out of it and he was interviewing for internships. And we, he and I planned a trip to Europe. Mm. Um mm. And it was very wonderful. And then I got a a call from his girlfriend a week after my dad died, and he had been at a party, and he he didn't, alcohol didn't agree with him at all. He was a different personality when he drank. I've never found a diagnosis, but in his case, it was severe. And for two years, Mm -hmm. he hadn't been using alcohol and he did this one night at the party and came home and um, and uh, went to bed that night, said goodbye to his friends and mm. uh, my in my heart of hearts and I talk about this in the book, his intentions were very different than my husband. I think it was an act of trying to see how his father felt and in the drunken state it went too far. So mm. that, that was the final and um, it was, oh. I just I, I truly can't describe uh, my perspective on life after that. It was yeah, just that, so that's awful. my question. That's my question. Was the first feeling numb? I mean, were you like, I mean, to me, that's just such overwhelm. 
it's like everything, the closest people to you were taken away plus your home. So, you know, how, what is it? What, what is that? I don't know what the feeling is. I know the feelings are there. But then what is it that grabs you and says, I've got to keep going? That's what, now, that's what I'd love to know in for my, In my case, this is not a religious book. And religious isn't even the right word. But my experience was 100%, oh, God, what are we going to do about this? I mm-hmm. felt that I had a relationship with something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And I counted on that to kind of bounce things off of and mm-hmm. ask for help and ask for strength because, I, you know, I, I'm not... Suicide isn't an option for me. I think it is for some people that are very, very sad or depressed, mm-hmm. but it wasn't for me. But I did not, I couldn't imagine living the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. um, it was so, through searching, searching uh, what are, for What are different- some of the things you did? I mean, did you walk? Did you meditate? Did you call friends? Did you go for therapy? Did you take medications? What What did you do? Well, everything that you just said, I did. And I used to joke and say, if an alien landed on the earth and someone told me that alien would help me in my journey to overcoming my pain, I would have given them all my money. I did everything. Mm. I was alert and I didn't feel like doing most of it. I, I, I never needed an antidepressant and I had taken an antidepressant in my life uh, uh, for a short period of time, but I did use medication for anxiety because it was paralyzing. It was mm-hmm. just paralyzing to the anxiety that came and came with it. But um I just kept reminding myself that life, I knew life to be good. I knew life to be full of love. And I wanted it again. And it, it sort of, it wasn't a happy uh, resolve that I had. It wasn't like, great, I've got the answer. I'm just going to read everything yeah. and I'm going to go to seminars and I'm going to go to therapy. Great, this is going to work out. Not at all. It was, you know... Please, God, help me to keep going in the right direction. Day by day. Yeah, Yeah, day by day. So in your book, you talk about the if-only mindset after losing a loved one. Um, How do you, why why and how do you break out of that? Because that's the rumination, right? That's the post-mortem, if only. Oh, yeah, yeah. And how do you break out of it? Keep asking the question till you start getting a... an answer to why you're doing that to yourself. Hmm. Well, I think it happens to a lot of people. Right. Right. But a lot of people self-blame. If I hadn't done that, if I hadn't said that, right. If I hadn't said Mm -hmm. that, if I had just been a little more attentive, if I had seen it sooner, I mean, over and over, the list goes on and on. And I will say living with a very depressed person who either you know they're suicidal or they're just so depressed. It's very, very toxic. And I, you know, spoke to a therapist who said, no, you aren't, weren't always patient. 
because I felt like, oh my gosh, sometimes, I mean, I spent so much time with my husband just talking, 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 mm-hmm. but sometimes I would get impatient. And I thought, oh my God, how could I have been impatient with him? She said, it's a toxic environment and you truly, believe it or not, gave your best, even though you're critical of yourself. Stop. Stop. Mm-hmm. You you did the best you could. And I probably said that over in my head a million times and I totally believe it now whereas before I thought I'm just an awful person how could I not have seen what he was going through so I guess the question is for people out there grieving now you're the things happened to you were I mean unique everything at once I mean it's a lot so much almost unbearable to be hit with all at once but my question for you people going through grief with COVID people losing people um, whether it's divorce whether it's finances whether it's relationship what do you say to people I mean what's the first thing you say do you say you've got to feel the pain first even though it's very painful do you feel that's really important Mary to go through the pain I think it's essential. And, you know, sit with it. As awful as it is, that's your point of controlling your situation. Sit with the feelings you have and realize they're there for a reason. They're there to remind you that your life is very different now. And then make a concerted effort to let it go. And I'm a firm believer that whatever I'm thinking about, That's my reality. And I didn't delude myself and make things up, but I Mm -hmm. said, David and Matthew are my sons, and I've Mm -hmm. always taken such joy. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, and and it was, it was, it sounds like, well, it sounds like a charade. Maybe it was. I don't care what it was. Wherever you put your mind, that's where you're going. That's the direction you're going in. And feel that pain. It's awful, but it's essential that we feel it. We can stuff it, but I promise it'll be waiting for you down the road. Something will trigger it. Right, or you'll get sick, right? It'll go into your body somehow. You bet. That's a true statement. how, How many years ago did this happen? It happened 12 years ago, the house burned down. And then in 2008, 11 years ago, they died. All right, so my question to you is, how is life different for you now? What is it like now? I have a very healthy respect for um, what I lost, and I also know that chapters end, and I'm in the process of selling the property that I, that I had, and that was very emotional for me. And I just decided to, instead of calling it an ending, it was a beginning. And when I first lost everything, those first, like, year year and a quarter, um, I didn't want the chapter to end. Oh, my God, the spaces that were created in my life with nothing in them was overwhelming. But by saying... There is a beginning here for you that will be good for you. Um, Suddenly, one day, I thought, well, what do you know? 
I actually realize that chapter is closed. I, I, I feel so sad all the time, but it's not the kind of sad that's paralyzing. It's the kind of sad that I, I, I miss them. I, I loved our time. But I, then I look at my life now, and I, I, I was as open as I could be to introduce new things in and create a new chapter. And it was, it worked. Plain and simply, it worked. Well, again, but you also wanted it to work. What, did you go for your grief counseling certification after this happened? Yes, yes. I became a life coach after it happened, um, simply because I wanted to be able to communicate better in my relationships, which I accomplished that. And then also, um, I just have a lot of empathy. Either you do or you don't. I know you can cultivate empathy, but I had a lot of empathy when I'd see somebody else hurt. It made me remember my pain, and I would, I, I just wanted them to feel better. What are you hearing from your clients now that you're doing this? What is the main thing they're grappling with? Is it the guilt? Is it the postmortems of I should have, would have, could have? How do you how do you work with your clients? I think there's an element about those things, but the biggest thing is that they have spaces to fill, and mm-hmm. you're not in a frame of mind where you want to create and you like the idea of having a new person in your life or you like the idea of your new home or whatever your loss is. You like your new pet. You, you know, you remember the good times with your parents or your grandparents, mm-hmm. whoever passed. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, guess what? You've got your work cut out for you and um, you'll start filling up those spaces again and filling it with good things. And if I see a sense of um, trying to comfort themselves with things that aren't productive, I'm really all over it. That wasn't my problem, but I could have seen that if I did have a propensity toward using drugs or alcohol or something like that, that I didn't want a temporary fix. I wanted my happy life back, and I I resigned myself to the fact that it was going to have different players and be different, but I I wanted that, and I got it, and my sadness is still there, but it's in a place that I, I look at it from time to time, and I say, you know, you had a wonderful wonderful thing going there Mm -hmm. and um it's gone it's gone so what am I going to do do you think Mary do you advocate to your clients your patients that um they revisit good times you know they they go to the grave site or they have an altar in the person's honor or they have the picture what what do you suggest to people about the celebration of the life of that person? Well, I know what works for me, but what I suggest is trust your gut. You don't have to explain to anybody what you're doing. When it's time to take off your wedding ring, you'll know it. When it's time to clean out your child's room, you'll know it. There's no pressures. Don't put pressure on yourself. But trust your gut and also start looking around for what people do. See what you like. 
it's all, you know, it's, it's something for you to try. And in my family, um, we celebrated the day they passed away. We didn't celebrate. We got together the day they passed away. And we still get together. And although that's, that's kind of easing off a bit. This year we didn't. But their birthdays, always. And all I have to say to my sons is, do you want to get together for dinner on Tuesday? They're like, yep, we're in. And I, we, we honor them. We, we just honor them. And we, uh, it, it's a transition when you start honoring and loving new things. Yes, yeah. You also talk in your book, very, in, in, very fascinating, that your mother, who was a strong-willed military life, had obediently birthed and raised six children. But she harbored a dark secret from her own childhood. You found out yeah. about this, and you talk about it in the book. Please share with us and how that affected you. Right, right. It, 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 what was the question again, Patricia? There was a bit of static. Oh, um, that about your mom and about the, the secret that she had, that she was a strong-willed military life uh, wife and she had uh, birthed six children and she was very obedient, but she had a secret. And you write about her yeah. secret in the book. Right. My mom was probably the most optimistic person in the world. And I've often wondered, was that in the gene pool or did she make up her mind? And I grew to believe after knowing her experiences with uh, sexual abuse during a period of her teenage years, um, that she made up her mind. She made up her mind and she was um, so loving and so understanding and so available for most things. She was your go-to person if you had something you needed to discuss. Mm. Uh, Nothing phased her. She just very, you know, offered a lot of caring. But there were many times in my upbringing when, for whatever reason, she wasn't connecting to an obvious problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that that helped the realization of that and writing about that in the book helped all of us as her children to understand her better because sometimes you would think she seemed like the, the word clueless. It was like, wow, mom, are you not seeing that Michael who had addiction problems, are you not seeing what's going on here? And there was a part, she just had a way about her that it was too much for her, but she never said it. I just didn't get a response on certain things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of, filled in a little bit of the gaps in who she was because it could be frustrating when she just would, there's no way she was letting that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty, pretty amazing. What, um, I asked you this before, but I'd like you to fill it out a little more about now as a grief counselor, uh, some of the things that you would say to people or that you've watched your clients go through that would be helpful. Maybe a couple more tips. Um, be with it. Don't count on desire to get you going and get you out in the world. Sometimes you have to act it before you become it. I think that's right. an AA saying, yeah. but it's powerful. It's powerful. My, a, a year and a half after they passed away, my sister had a family birthday party for me and I I I would have done anything to not have to go, Mm. but I went 
And I mean, I'm a social person. I enjoy people in my home. I went and I couldn't believe how good it felt to be there. And I got in the car after it was over. I wasn't even off her street and I was sobbing. And I was thinking, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. That's the emotions that are owning you. Grief is like a stranger that shows up at your door and you're powerless. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I'm not powerless. And this is what I say to people. Go for a walk with a friend. Invite someone over and have a cup of coffee. And tell them I'm limiting the time if you want to. But start doing it. It's like getting a, a wheel that's hard to turn, getting mm-hmm. it turning. And after a while, you're going 90 miles an hour again. But it takes a long time. And basically, believing that you're going to be all right, because you are going to be all right. Mm. It's just going to be different. So how and, do you find the, the gift in the grief? Think about the gift. What would the gift be? Meeting a new person you can share with, being open about your feelings, um, you know, knowing that you're alive and well and, you know, that you have people who love you. Would those be some of the gifts? Those are some of the gifts, definitely. And also, your life will never be the same whether you go with it or not. And the gift can be opening yourself up to different experiences that never could have happened. I'm very much in love with my new husband. And I think about Bruce, my late husband, often. And I feel peace now. I do. I feel peace because I never could have had a wonderful man like Pierre in my life. So maybe I wouldn't have chosen it. But since it's here and this is what's happening, I choose to be joyful and I choose Mm. to be grateful and I choose to look nonstop for what's going well in my life. What are Mm. my miracles now? It's easier and easier as it goes on. And like I say, I can cry by hearing a song in the radio that reminds me of Patrick. Mm. But that's just what a mother does. When she loses her child and, um, you know, you, you just come to, to accept. Acceptance is so huge. And be patient with yourself. What would you say might be some of the warning signs for family members if they're watching a person dip down, um, not getting out of bed? Uh, not enjoying, uh, not talking so much. In other words, major changes in behavior that happen over two weeks. What would be your advice to people who are seeing this with loved ones? Um, I think uh, 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 non-judgment is a big thing and encouragement and looking for um, intervention. You know, start beating the pavement, finding out who's available, what professionals are available. And um, really, really stressing that there is so much good and keep pointing it out. And in the end, you've done your duty as a loving family member or a loving friend. And the choice is ultimately that person's. And what I've realized is that you're never going to change a person's mind that is that intent on getting out of their pain. And it is 100% 
I think leaving under these circumstances is better than being in the kind of pain I'm in. I can't fathom what it must be like for people, especially my husband, who he just was such a balanced, capable, smart man that it went too far. It just Mm -hmm. went too far and... Yeah, all you you have to realize you don't hold the power there, that they hold the power. But and you hold the power humbling. within yourself. You hold the power within yourself, and you said something interesting about the pain, because you know how difficult and how the anger and the pain is so hard. So you can choose, yeah. after you've felt it, not to keep going through that, right? Not to keep beating yourself up, not to keep going down right. that dark path. And if you can't, Right, Mary, that's when you get some help. Or, but sometimes people hide it so you don't know. So what do you say to family members that may suspect something? You don't, so because we know it. today, yeah, I mean, we know yeah. today that people will commit suicide and sometimes family members didn't know. They didn't even have a clue because the person hid it so well. Well, and also, um, this, was, this came and went in our life together. From the very beginning. Um, and But he was functional. And yeah. he was, he had, you know, he, he met all the expectations of life actually quite well, except he was, emo- he was shut down in his communication and I'm guessing his emotions. So what I faced at the end, it was worse than other times. But our house had just burned down. You know, I mm. thought, you know, and I kept saying, I don't care where we end up. I'm just thrilled where the five of us are safe and we got out of there. Some people didn't have that good fortune. But it was different. And he, all I can say is that, yeah, he he just, he gave, gave in. He, the choice he made was so absurd considering what his other options were, but he couldn't Mm. see it. And, yeah, I wish I'd pushed certain things, but it it, it didn't call for it from my observation. Mm. Yeah. Mary, what do you think this whole experience has taught you? What's, What's the gift in all of this tragedy with your husband committing suicide, your son committing suicide, your father dying all within a few months, and then the fire right before that. What would you, um, you know, where's where's the gift in all of this? You know, there is such a big gift, and that is I am bound and determined to find the silver lining mm-hmm. in what happened. And part of the silver lining is that I view life differently. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, the nicest person in the world has judgmental thoughts about what other people do. And I'm no different. I do. But I, often, but I, I, I have said to myself, no, no, you don't really know what other people are going through. So I think I have a kinder heart and a more understanding heart. Um, I always loved and cherished my family, but I see them differently. I see them as as vulnerable, and I see them as needing the glue of this family that we still have. It's different. 
um, I'm more aware and I see the value in acceptance mm-hmm. of what you can't change. You know, the, the, here I'm on AA again. I do have alcoholics in my family, so I'm familiar with it. But, um, you know, change the things you can. And the things you can't, leave it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that to me is the essence. Maybe that's the gift. I always knew these things, but they didn't mean that much to me. But I desperately needed something to mean something do, do that you would help think, me to feel do better. You, do you think, Mary, that since all of this, do you think you appreciate life more now than before the tragedies? Do you think there's even a greater sense of appreciation than there was? Well, I'll tell you, I, I do. But it, it, it was believing I would find that. Because I'll be honest with you, right. I met with my oldest son last week for dinner and something made me say to him I have not been this happy since dad died since Patrick died and he said mom I'm so happy to hear you say that I said I think it was just time you know and I wasn't miserable at all I I could feel myself making progress but um no there comes a time where you're standing in the place you worked really hard to get to and one thing I will tell people you will get there every ounce of effort you make toward peace and understanding and acceptance it doesn't just you know disappear once you're finished thinking about it it builds and builds until one day you're saying, I, th- I haven't been this happy in a long time. Mm. And I'm so, that's why I waited so long I, I, to write the book. I, I wasn't in a place where I was really getting some message across that I wanted to get across. And mm. you carry your sorrows always, but they don't own you always if you insist that they won't. Right, and and this really is a new normal. We talk about all grief when you've been through something that it's now a new normal. So it's it's never going to be the normal you had before. What would you say yeah. to that? No, I, I I think you're exactly right. But life is always full of new things. We just don't expect to have our half of our family replacing that. Or and I I don't like to use the word replacing, but having an empty space where some of our mm. own, something that close. Um, Mary, when you do grief counseling, um, is there, are there certain things that you do with everybody or is it very individualized? Do you do breathing techniques or visualization techniques or, you know, walks with them or uh, is it very customized or there are some things that you do with almost everybody? The, well, the thing that I do with almost everybody is let them lead the way. Yep. And my job, I feel like my job for them is to shine lights on certain things that they're telling me. And if they're telling me, I, you know, I don't know what to do with myself, well, what do you like to do under ordinary circumstances? And I have a lot, it, it's unique to the person, what makes them happy normally and finding things that are positive things to do. Staying in your robe, in your bed all day long is not going to get you anywhere. You're going to hate showering, getting up and getting ready and getting out the door. But trust me, you're asking, how do I get better? 
and we identify for each person. And you know, Patricia, sometimes just being heard in a way that they think differently, that's what a person is looking for. And I, 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 you know, I do have a process as a coach that works. It's being open to possibilities, but you're, but they're, it's their life and they will benefit from taking action on their own, not doing things that I suggest. Hmm. And, you know, I think too, there are so many stereotypes like I'm too old. I can't do this again. I'm not strong enough. I'm not healthy enough. You know, how can I buy that house when I don't have a lot of savings? I mean, all these things that block us immediately before we start looking at alternatives. Right. What's your feeling about that? I just think that's, I think we all have a little bit of that in us, no matter what. Should I apply for a master's program? I I have my nursing degree, but um, after... uh, Bruce and Patrick died, I kind of had a solitary life. The other boys were gone, and I thought, you know, I've always, I think getting a degree, a bachelor's in psychology would be a smart thing. I barely knew how to work my computer, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I just thought, I don't care. I don't care if I'm the oldest one in the class. I, you know, this will be something good. I'm so proud of it. I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 there's a lot of excuses. And one thing I've learned that's related to this is that I'm 63 years old now. I was 52 when they passed. Um, stop talking about your age. You don't mm-hmm. have to say, oh, well, you know, it's almost like I, I think I was making an excuse uh, for something. And I said to my niece, I said, I think I bring up my age too much. And she goes, yeah, stop doing that. If you want to get a degree, if you want to train for a marathon, if you want to, you know, whatever, do it and stop framing it in why not. I said, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because there's the chronological age, there's a physiological age, there's also your spiritual age. I mean, again, I mean, you hear people say all the time, I'm operating 20 years younger than I am, or I feel like I'm 20 years younger. So, and then you have people younger that feel 20 years older. So it's it's not about the chronological number, right? No, and don't dim it. Don't dim your bright light of enthusiasm by putting, well, don't think I don't know that I'm in my 60s. I know that. No, no, leave all that out. I think I'm going to do this. Someone says, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'll be the first one to graduate with a PhD at 75 (laughs) or something. Okay, call me crazy, whatever. Absolutely. Mary, what would you like to think about this for a minute? You know, if you summed up everything, what would you want? What's your message to our listeners about grief, about death and dying, about, you know, just things that we didn't expect, about loss? What's your message? Um, That's part of the human experience. And I know you said think about it for a second, but I have thought of nothing but that for so long. Loss is part of the human experience here. And loss is not 100% consuming of everything in your life. And its mindset is 
the map, the proper mindset is like having a proper map. If you want to go to Alaska, you need a map. If you want to be happy in your life, you get a mindset of happiness and whatever your choice is to get informed about that. I'm sure in large part that's why I went into coaching because I do have experiences and I called myself extraordinarily ordinary. In other words, I don't have any big advantages over anyone else and I got a lot of good support and a lot of good advice and my mindset began to grow and that is what will get you where you need to go and also help you to carry your sorrows in a way that it doesn't own you and that's the that's the key to life but this life is it's so full of joys that bring tears to my eyes but it's also full of like I how can I hold up to this well mm-hmm. let, let, let's talk about that and let's get yeah. a plan and I also think one thing I'd love to add is this whole idea of talking with positive people you know if you if you're feeling it don't talk with people who will um, you know discourage you or say yeah you're right you are too old yeah you shouldn't take that course you're absolutely right, right. and if you do you might right. your brain might not work as well you know you may be slower than everyone else you stay away from those people correct that's the truest statement thank you so much for putting attention on that because there's a saying that surround yourself with people that lift you higher yeah. that does not mean avoid negative people but limit your time be there enough to maybe love them a little bit more to help them on their path but their path is not your responsibility your responsibility is to surround yourself with people that make you want more because when you want more and you have more look at what you're giving to the world absolutely and and there you go it takes off it's like a catalyst for mm-hmm. what's good in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Mary, how can people find your book, Six Funerals and a Wedding? It's a memoir. How can people find it? Well, you can find it on my website. Uh, actually, you can, yeah, you can find it on my website, but the simplest way in today's world is Amazon. It's on Amazon. Um, order it and have it in a couple days. If you want to contact me, my website, sixfuneralsandawedding.com is a great way to communicate with me and I welcome it. And I get so many, so many beautiful things, Patricia. The, the book, mm. the night before we, I published for the first time, for the, the first publication, I called my editor and I was having a little panic attack. And I said, did we make our point? Because this is a powerful story, but mm-hmm. powerful stories come and go out of your head. I said, mm-hmm. did we make our point? And the feedback that I've gotten and the reviews that I've gotten, this book speaks to people in a way that makes yeah, them so. see life differently. And Isn't that it, wonderful? it's just, I, I thank God for it, really. I so it's one, of your, it's one of your other gifts that you gave back, Mary, this book. Think about that. Yeah. Yeah, really, it is. Yeah, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on this program today. I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate being here and I thank you so much. 
You're welcome. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Uh, If you'd like to contact me, if you'd like to be on my newsletter list so you can see my guests each month, log on to, uh, write to me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Also, my website, PatriciaRaskin.com, will send you a link to the guests. And if you are thinking about your own show, I'd love to have my own podcast, contact me because I help people put together their own shows since I've interviewed about 5,000 people in my work and I just love really helping get the positive messaging out. So again, you can like me on Facebook, Patricia Raskin Raskin Resources. And again, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. All right, everyone, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next week, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.